Welcome to Into Security, Info Security Magazine's monthly podcast, bringing you news highlights and topical debate. Hey everyone, and welcome to the May edition of the Into Security podcast. I'm your host, Eleanor Dalloway, Editorial Director at Info Security Magazine. And joining me today are our Deputy Editor, Benjamin David, and our reporter, James Coker. And we are right in the throes of our Q2 press week. Um, so thank you, Ben and James, for taking the time today to record. How are you doing? Other than very tired, I imagine. Exactly, very tired. <laughs> but I've rode very well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing good. And how are you, JC? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good too. Yeah, like you say, sort of it's been uh, sort of a busy, busy few weeks, and definitely a, a busy uh, couple of months coming up as well. So, but it should be fun as well. Yeah, and you're off to Wales tomorrow, I believe, James. Or is it today? Uh, Later today, actually. Yeah, yeah. First time I've been. First time I would have been to Wales actually for, for the uh, Cyber UK conference that's that's taking place. Um, I'm only going to be there for the the one day, um, but yeah, hoping to see hoping to see a lot of uh, a lot of people in the industry there. Hopefully, hey, the glamorous places we travel. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> So it is a really busy time here at InfoSecurity. Um, as I said, we are just putting the final touches on the Q2 edition of InfoSecurity Print Magazine, which is a particularly sentimental one for me. Um, as I did announce last week, it will be my final issue as editor. And I can't actually believe I'm saying these words because it's been 15 years, uh, believe it or not. It's actually fairly embarrassing. (laughs) Uh, But I felt so emotional penning my editorial um, and have reflected on my time at the magazine and, of course, all of the wonderful people that I've met over the years. Before my departure, I will be joining the InfoSecurity team attending RSA in San Francisco in June. And then, of course, the long-awaited return of InfoSecurity Europe from 21st to 23rd of June at Excel London, our new home. So it's a really busy period for us, um, but one I'm looking forward to. And I think it's actually going to be a really bittersweet um, time to leave, um, as I'll have had the opportunity to see so many of you face to face just before I head off to Passages new so do come and find me either in San Francisco or in London Excel um, to say goodbye or bye for now I I rather say. Um, Back to today's Into Security podcast though where we are going to focus on the theme of GDPR with May 25th the fourth anniversary since the regulations came into force across the EU back in 2018. Since that time, there have been numerous developments in the field of data protection and privacy legislation. GDPR has really paved the way for a raft of new data privacy laws worldwide, um, heavily based on GDPR principles, including, of course, the California Consumer Privacy Act. There have also been several controversies and debates surrounding GDPR. One of these is in the area of data sharing, with Brexit throwing into doubt the UK's data transfer arrangements with EU countries and the Schrems 2 case in 2020, which ruled that the Privacy Shield scheme for transfers of personal data from the EU to the United States is unlawful under GDPR. There's also discussion about the disparities between how different regulatory agencies across Europe enforce GDPR and the different levels of penalties issued for those deemed to have broken the law. 
To learn more about GDPR's impact so far and how it may evolve in the future, we speak to privacy expert Jonathan Armstrong, a partner at legal compliance firm Cordry, um, and we're going to listen to him later on in this episode. Before we kick off the news, I would, however, like to say a huge thank you to this episode's sponsor, CoFence. CoFence is the leading provider of protection, detection and response email security solutions and the only company to combine a global network of 30 million people reporting fish with advanced AI based automation to stop phishing attacks. So a big thank you to CoFence. As always, we're going to kick off with a roundup of some of the most significant InfoSec news stories that we've reported on recently. So I'm going to come to you, please, Benjamin, with our first. Thank you. Yeah, so this is the US government offering $15 million reward for info on the Conti actors. Um, and in particular, the identification, arrest and or conviction of individuals involved in attacks using the infamous Conti ransomware variant. Now, offered under the Department of State's trans, uh, Transnational Organized Crime Rewards Program, the money is split into two parts. So up to $10 million for information on the identity or location of senior individuals in Conti, and up to $5 million for information leading to the arrest or conviction of anyone conspiring to use the malware in attacks. Now that suggests that the $10 million is reserved for information on the operators slash developers of the Conti ransomware, while the second sum of money could also be handed out for info on any affiliate group members. According to FBI figures cited by the State Department, the Conti variant has been linked to over 1,000 attacks over the past two years, costing victims over a whopping $150 million in the process. That makes it the highest grossing ransomware of all time, it claimed. After a catastrophic data leak back in February that exposed private chats and other information, researchers learned much about the internal workings of the Conti Group. It is said to have spent $6 million annually on salaries, services and tooling, yet Despite the incident, operations continue. Now I'll pass over to you, JC, because you have a story about uh, Ukrainian DDoS and Russia vodka. Yeah, a very, very intriguing uh, way of putting it there. <laughs> um, so yes, this, this story is really a, a development of the cyber warfare aspect of the the devastating Russia-Ukraine conflict. Uh, And here, Ukrainian hacktivists reportedly disrupted alcohol shipments in Russia after committing a distributed denial of service attacks against a critical online portal. So so in Russia, alcohol producers and distributors are required by law to register their shipments with the EGAIS portal, which loosely translates as the Unified State Automated Alcohol Accounting Information System. Um, However, several entities in the sector told a local news site, uh, Vedomosti, this week, last week, that DDoS attacks by Ukrainian hacktivists downed the site on May the 2nd and the 3rd. 
And so this, the outage uh, not only impacted vodka distribution, but also that of wine companies and purveyors of other types of alcohol. Um, so government sources that were quoted in the report claim that the site is running normally and any excessive waiting times are duly are merely due to heavy demand. However, one company, Fault, had failed to upload about 70% of invoices to the portal due to the outage. Um, according to the report, um, its suppliers of wine to retail chains and restaurants were apparently disrupted on May the 4th due to the incident. Um, so, yeah, it's really the latest example of hacktivist activity targeting the, uh, the Russian state and, and Russian services during the conflict. Um, we've seen this on uh, numerous occasions with the with the group Anonymous, who have carried out a number of incidents, including taking out uh, Russian government agency websites uh, um, so the the general cyber dimension of the Russia-Ukraine conflict is also a topic that we're going to be covering uh, quite a bit in the, in the next print issue of Info Security magazine, which, as we mentioned, we're, we're sort of in the final touches to at the moment uh, and will be published later this month. Um, and I've got to hand over to you, Eleanor, for a, a story about a cryptocurrency heist. Yeah, and we, we just to add to that, we have had a huge amount of coverage on both the Russian-Ukraine crisis and supply chain security in recent time. Um, such an interesting story, though. Selfishly, I'm hoping that gin supply chains and New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc supply chains remain unaffected. Um, OK, yes, as you say, Treasury sanctions crypto firm after North Korea's $620 million heist. So I'm going to cover the news that the cryptocurrency mixing service Blender.io has become the first business of its kind to be hit with US government sanctions after North Korean hackers allegedly used it following a major crypto theft. The US Treasury's Office of Foreign Assets Control, the OFAC, claimed that the firm was used by the Democratic People's Republic of Korea to launder over $20 million of the $620 million estimated to have been stolen from the Ronin network in March. The US government believes that stolen money is being used to fund North Korea's nuclear weapons and ballistic missile programs. Under Secretary of the Treasury for Terrorism and Financial Intelligence, Brian Nelson commented, Today, for the first time ever, Treasury is sanctioning a virtual currency mixer. Virtual currency mixers that assist illicit transactions pose a threat to US national security interests. We're taking action against illicit financial activity by the DPRK and will not allow state-sponsored thievery and its money laundering enablers to go unanswered. And that's end of quote. North Korea is heavily associated with cryptocurrency theft, with research earlier this year finding that they stole nearly $400 million worth of online currency in 2021. This is likely an attempt to mitigate the impact of crippling financial sanctions placed on the country from across the international community. Many analysts also expect Russian state-backed actors to increase their focus on cryptocurrency theft in the coming months, following the recent severe sanctions, of course, placed on the Kremlin due to its invasion of Ukraine. Uh, ben, over to you now for London police warn of crypto muggings. So according to a new report, victims lost tens of thousands of pounds worth of digital currency in the second half of 2021 after a spate of incidents in which thugs forced them to unlock their smartphones. The City of London Police provided freedom of information data, revealing that criminal gangs increasingly combine 
physical threats with cyber know-how to part individuals with their virtual currency. In one instance, an individual trying to order a cab on their phone had it seized by muggers who then transferred £5,000 of Ethereum from their Coinbase account before handing it back. In another, a man was held against a wall while thugs opened his device using facial recognition before transferring £6,000 of Ripple out of his account. Sometimes the losses are even higher. One account tells of a man accosted while he was vomiting under a bridge. The mugger reportedly forced him to unlock his phone via fingerprint scan and then stole over £28,000, including cryptocurrency. And another victim had £10,000 stolen from their Crypto.com account after pickpockets operating in a pub grabbed his smartphone. He believes they had previously shoulder surfed his pin. Now, although blockchain technically allows investigators to trace the, the route of transactions, police don't have the resources to look at relatively small losses like the ones mentioned, according to the report. However, if these incidents could be pieced together and linked to a more extensive organized crime operation, there may be more chance of a formal investigation, it added. Thanks, Ben. So it's time for another mid-podcast message from our episode's sponsor, CoFence. Millions of ransomware, business email compromise and credential harvesting attacks bypassed email security solutions every year. And 90% of breaches start with an email fish. CoFence's unique combination of technology and human insight means they have real-time detection, reporting and auto-quarantining of cyber threats as they happen. The insights generated provide a constant awareness of the live threats within the market, allowing Covents to feed this intelligence into customers to catch and stop phishing attacks before they hurt your business. In their 2022 Q1 intelligence report, you won't be surprised to hear that they've seen the landscape change massively with the re-emergence of Emotet and a spike in donation scam-based threats arising from the conflict between Russia and Ukraine. To find out more about the latest threat insights or more about how CoFence can support your business, visit their website. Now, JC, I believe you recently caught up with Friend of Info Security magazine, Jonathan Armstrong, to discuss the GDPR's anniversary this month. How did that go? Uh, yeah, really well, thank you. As, as always, it's uh, a really informative chat with Jonathan, who, as you say, he's a, he's a regular uh, contributor to, to the magazine. Um, so he, he really explained the various complex issues that relate to GDPR in a, in a very digestible way. Um, but you'd have to take my word for that. Let's take a listen now. I'm delighted to be joined by Jonathan to discuss the GDPR's fourth anniversary. Um, so Jonathan, could I start by asking you, what, what do you believe have been the most significant challenges faced by the GDPR since it came into force uh, in 2018? I think the main challenge has probably been entirely predictable, and that's the sort of, if you like, the postcode lottery nature of GDPR. When you look at enforcement across the U, uh, the EU, and now the EU plus the UK, and I think the proposals for what is now GDPR first came in more than ten years ago, 
I think I blogged about it at the time. There's always this problem, I think, when you have different regulators in different countries responding to different national requirements or different national sensibilities. So, for example, those in the former Soviet states think of privacy and data protection issues differently from uh, those of us in the UK. And that inconsistent enforcement has been borne out by the numbers. You know, if you look at Spain, they've brought 453 GDPR actions, Latvia and Croatia for each. So there is a real difference, I think, in terms of enforcement. And that goes to the level of fines too. Uh, as, as I said, Spain have had 453 fines, but only 10 of them have been above uh, a million euros. And that might contrast with some other jurisdictions, Luxembourg, for example, that have not done that much in terms of the volume of fines, but have one in, in particular that's a, uh, that, that's a really big number against Amazon. So regulators, I think, have not only different national sensibilities, but also different resources, different backlogs. If you report a security breach in one jurisdiction, you might get a very quick turnaround. If you report it in another jurisdiction, you might not hear for two, three years. Um, in the UK, we've now had a response to a security breach notification in about 48 hours, as I say. In some jurisdictions, that can easily be two years. And it's this inconsistent enforcement that I think is one of the biggest challenges, particularly for multinational businesses, particularly for businesses who have employees in different jurisdictions, because you can't really predict when you're going to get a resolution and what that resolution is going to look like. Thank you, Jonathan. That's that's really interesting. And um, what, what have you observed as being the most notable developments or, or events uh, regarding GDPR in, in the past year? I think the first thing is, uh, unlike the song, it, it, it's not all about the money, money, money. Um, I think we have seen some of the most interesting regulatory interventions haven't necessarily or not yet led to fines. You know, if you look at the uh, dawn raid on Facebook, for example, over Facebook dating in Ireland, that effectively removed Facebook from the uh, online dating market during the pandemic. That was the gold rush for online dating. One of the organizations that Facebook might have taken out of the market grew to such an extent that it could get its IPO away. And now it's uh, you know, a much more uh, a, a bigger beast for them to attack. So I think we have seen cases where regulators have almost changed business models through interventions. And, and as I say, it's not just fines, although the fines, I think, are becoming more and more significant, about 1.5 billion euros of fines so far, and about uh, 1,352 cases have led to a fine so far. So fines are certainly increasing, but I'd always say it's not just about the money. And then also, not all of the cases are about security breaches 
either. And and in some respects, the biggest trend is about transparency. So that's about you know being honest with people about how you're using their data. Too many businesses say you know we use uh, secure encryption of all your data when they don't. Um, we're seeing regulators focus, uh, as I say, on transparency, particularly in areas like AI. And there's always that difficulty, I think, of the AI algorithm. Uh, people want to keep it secret, but regulators, as a general rule, don't like that. And the other thing that I would say would be a notable development is that regulators have got much better at looking behind attacks. So uh, ransomware, for example, is a lot of ransomware across our desks at the moment. And regulators are getting much better at very quickly saying what led to the ransomware attack? What what did the threat actor do? Did you have MFR, uh, MFA in place? Did you patch regularly? Show us the logs that prove all of that stuff. And I think that's a development, I would say, in the last three, four, five months, but definitely one worth watching. Regulators are getting much more skillful. And obviously, ransomware is in part complex because of the uh, Russia-Ukraine conflict. And that's leading to some very awkward questions, I think, for infosec professionals when there has been an incident. Absolutely. Thank you, Jonathan. And um, quite a tough question to answer in many ways. But overall, how much of a positive impact has GDPR had on data protection and individual privacy so far, in your view? I think that's always going to be fairly subjective. I think that we've seen quite a lot of organizations have taken privacy and security more, uh, you know, it has certainly gone out of the tech team into the boardroom for many organizations. Many organizations have invested in processes and procedures to deal with things like security breaches more quickly. But there are still organizations who don't really respect privacy. And ironically, some of those are, you know, privacy apps or privacy plays. So people who will make subject access requests on your behalf, for example, sometimes don't observe all of the rules themselves. So there's definitely new business models have cropped up. Definitely good organizations have changed their mindset, but there are still outliers, I think, who haven't made that many changes. And of course, as I've said already, we've got challenges of newer technology like AI, for example, which can be particularly sort of privacy negative if they aren't done correctly. Very interesting. Thank you. And, and given some of those challenges that, that you've mentioned, um, do, you, do you expect uh, the GDPR regulations and, and its enforcement to evolve in the coming years? I think we've certainly seen an uptick in activity in 2021. We've seen that uh, pace continue in 2022. So I think enforcement will definitely step up. And there are all sorts of reasons for that. I think a lot of 
regulators have sort of played themselves in, if you like. They uh, are better resourced than before. A lot of countries have seen big data breaches and the the public psyche has changed, asking regulators to take action. I think in the area of AI, we've seen some regulators, particularly Spain, particularly Italy, uh, try and deal with some of these issues through existing regulation. Of course, there's new regulations to come in the areas of uh, e-privacy, so things like cookies, and in the areas of uh, AI as well. And I think the other thing to watch out for in the future is the rise of privacy activist groups. We've seen groups like NOYB based in Austria, for example, have campaigns about cookies, about ad tech, and we're certainly seeing many more individuals try and exercise GDPR rights. So there's the, the, the sort of three trends, if you like, of regulators getting tougher, individuals getting tougher, and increased litigation. And I think they're definitely things to watch out for for the future. Thank you, Jonathan. Yes, certainly plenty to, to keep our eye on for over the over the coming years. And uh, thank you very much for your for your time this morning. My pleasure. Really fascinating discussion there with Jonathan um, and the developments in GDPR, something info security will be following closely over the coming months and years. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, sadly, though, that is all we've got time for in this month's episode of the Into Security podcast with a focus on GDPR. However, before we end, here's a quick message from our sponsor. CoFence provides the technology and insight to help businesses improve security, remediate threats and reduce the risk of compromise. They stop fish. I hope you all enjoyed listening today. Thank you so much for joining us. We will, of course, be back next month in June for another instalment on another theme. Um, it will also be my last podcast. So I do hope you'll tune in then. Until then, I've been Eleanor. I've been James. And I've been Benjamin. Thanks for listening to Into Security. For in-depth interviews with the industry's finest minds, check out our sister podcast, Into Security Chats. Join us again next month. Until then, stay safe and keep up to date with everything you need to know about information security via the infosecurity-magazine.com website. Music